Comments made on the Ceratoc Podcast Network are those of the individuals and do not represent Ceratoc Corporation, its staff, management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. Hi, this is Bill. Welcome to this week's episode of Real World Fitness. Hope everyone out there is doing well. I'm guessing my friends in the north are now experiencing some uh, chillier weather and probably enjoying it. It's been a long, hot summer for everyone. I'm thoroughly enjoying having my windows open and uh, fresh air and a breeze coming through the house instead of being closed up in the air conditioning. I have a really, really cool lady as my guest this week. Her name is Sue Falsoni. She is a physical therapist with a lot of very, very special skills above and beyond the basic physical therapy. She is an expert in a treatment called dry needling, which from what I understand, and she'll explain it further, is the Western medicine equivalent to acupuncture. In fact, she travels around the country doing workshops in this. And um, the thing that a lot of you are probably going to find the coolest about her is she was the very first female head athletic trainer for a major league sports team. She worked with the Dodgers for several years and uh, was totally in charge of their conditioning, fitness, recoup, recovery, nutrition program. She oversaw the whole thing. She's a very, very cool lady, and I'm excited that I have the chance to talk with her, especially since we had a bunch of false starts on this interview. We had uh, She has a very, very busy teaching schedule, traveling around doing workshops and speaking at seminars and conferences. And um, the real world kind of got in the way and uh, her mother had a little injury that had to be addressed and we had to postpone the interview and some other things. And the good news is, from what I understand, her mother is back home in Buffalo healing well. And if you're listening, hi, mom. And um, let's get to that interview with uh, my guest this week, Sue Falsoni. My guest this week one of the busiest ladies in the fitness industry, Sue Falsoni. Thank you so much for taking some time with me today, Sue. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Bill. I'm excited to to chat today. That's great. I was just just looking around on your website before we started. Did you just come back from Norway two days ago or did that get canceled? I did. It got canceled. I was so bummed. Um, it literally got canceled a month ago, the conference that I was speaking at. They had people coming from all over the world. So it was really disappointing that it got canceled. But at the same time, it gave me three weeks home, which I seriously have not had all year. So <laughs> despite being disappointed about not going to Norway, I am excited about sitting in my own house. So everything works out the way it should. Okay. Because I roaming around the website and we're okay upcoming events let's see what she's doing okay she's at perform i know she's at perform better i know she's doing these dry needling workshops and it's actually a little bit more than that and then i saw oslo i think and i went wow she's gonna be all jet lagged when we talk today (laughs) i know i know no unfortunately got canceled so hopefully uh hopefully we'll get there at another time okay let's talk a little about your background, your education, and how you ended up in the Dodgers. Is it the Dodgers locker room? It was. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, gosh, a while back, 2008 or nine, I think is when I started with the Dodgers. Well, since a lot of the people that are listening to this probably have only seen your name in passing 
or might not even know who you are at all, let's let's like do the, you know, the education and how long ago did you decide you were going to be the physical therapist with all these incredible specialties and come up with all this amazing stuff and not have a real job like we discussed before we started? <laughs> oh gosh, I never thought all of this would happen. I couldn't have imagined. I couldn't have imagined any of this. Um, it's it's been an amazing time, really. You know, I, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and um, you know, sort of always thought I would go to med school, as many of us do, and um, went into PT school. Actually, it was a four year degree at the time, which just sort of demonstrates how old I am, because. PT was a bachelor's degree back then. So uh, instead of doing a, a pre-med or a biology degree, I decided to go into physical therapy and um, ended up just absolutely loving it and just never thought about med school again and just really, really enjoyed my time in, in physical therapy school and my interns and, and what I was doing and what physical therapists do. And so um, did an internship and took a job then after graduation down in Raleigh, North Carolina and worked there for a couple years two and a half years, I think. And while I was there, worked with an incredible woman named Erin Tanner and her husband, Ray Tanner, uh, actually now is at South Carolina. He's the um, athletic director over at South Carolina. And so at the time he was at NC State and she was at the same clinic I was at. And so got to really sort of see what athletic trainers did and what she did. And um, she encouraged me to apply to UNC Chapel Hill for a double major program that they had. And so ended up going to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and um, double majored in uh, human movement and sports medicine at the time and ended up becoming an athletic trainer as well. And so during that time, I also sat for my CSCS and uh, did a little personal training during grad school to sort of help get me through a little bit and um, graduated with that and then had sort of all these letters after my name and had no idea what I wanted to do. So... Uh, I ended up um, picking up and moving across the country to North or to Arizona with a friend of mine, um, simply because we were looking for sun and warmth. And randomly read an article about Nomar Garcia Para, who was the batting championship at the time, uh, batting champion title, and um, saw that he trained with a man named Mark Verstegen in Tempe, Arizona, and I happened to be living ten minutes away from there, and so went to athletes performance and met Mark and met Brandon Marcello and um, some of the other coaches that were there and just started volunteering my time. And uh, one thing led to another. And before you know it, by that summer, you know, end of summer, Mark had offered me a full-time position. And so that was in 2001. And then I was with Mark for uh, about 13 years. So you're working with athletes performance and um, how did you end up working with the Dodgers. That's just, that's a really interesting thing to me. And I know a lot of my listeners, especially my female listeners are going to really be impressed with this and interested in this. How did you end up working with the Dodgers and ending up as their head athletic trainer eventually? Yeah. You know, it was in, uh, I think it was 2008. I don't know. The years are blending slightly. I think it was 2008 when the Dodgers had approached athletes performance about doing some work together. And so it kind of became my, 
I don't know, account, I suppose, for a lack of a better word and, and project that I was supposed to manage. And so when Stan Conti came on, I believe in 2009, again, my years may be off by one or two, we had gotten along quite well and um, shared some very similar visions and philosophies. And um, I kind of complimented some of the things he was looking to improve. And I learned a ton from him. And so you know, that relationship with the Dodgers just sort of grew organically over the course of several years to um, a couple times a year in spring training to uh, kind of a September call up for me to, you know, 120 games per year to uh, then taking a year off. I I took a year off in 2011 and just focused on uh, at athletes performance and then, you know, went back in 2012 as their head trainer. So it was something that sort of like I said, they had approached athletes' performance and, and I worked with the project and it just sort of grew organically from there. I'm just really curious. Now, you said up to 120 games. So were you on the road traveling with the team? What basically were you doing with them for them? Yeah, for, um, you know, the first two years was more kind of spot stuff. It, like, I think the first year was just spring training. And then the second year was a few times a, a season and then um, September. And then the next year was, you know, a hundred games and 120 games. And then it was a year off and then it was a hundred and then it was full time, 162 games. Um, and so, you know, during those, those last couple years as, as a consultant, sort of part-timer, and then as the full-time head athletic trainer was straight, yeah, it was all of spring training and playoffs and every single day traveling everywhere across the country. It's baseball's a tough schedule. I don't think people realize <laughs> that those games start in February and it's October and it's still going on. And uh, it's a long road. It's a, it's a tough, it's a tough gig. So you were in charge of programming, training, basically in charge of all the athlete, everything the athletes did outside of what they were doing in the game itself? Yeah, yeah. Basically, um, as the head athletic trainer um, working with Stan, Stan Conti was the vice president of medical services. And um, so really working with him to implement our plans. I mean, I really just focused at the major league level and he sort of distributed everything, you know, he oversaw major league and minor league stuff. So my focus was really with those 25 guys at the major league level and, you know, working with the strength coach to really implement programming, everything from rehab to, uh, you know, ideally injury prevention and injury reduction to sport performance type stuff. And, you know, integrating the nutrition and sort of all the different things that come with that. And, um, we had hired a chef along the way and, um, you know, had a great recovery regeneration kind of quiet room. So working with, with stuff like that. And so really just kind of building, you know, building a program, working with, with everyone else around us and really a multidisciplinary approach to see what we can do to help them either elevate their performance or, um, you know, just help keep them healthy and, and keep them recovered. So basically, like I said, everything other than what they did in their specific training for the sport, the nutrition, the rehab, the prehab, that's a lot of work. Definitely. We had a huge, we had a huge team with the Dodgers, you know, the Dodgers, um, we had, it was uh, Stan overseeing the entire program, myself, we had two assistant athletic trainers, a massage therapist, we had two strength coaches, a nutritionist and a chef. So we had a huge, huge team for 25 guys. And so, you know, a lot of people really working together to to keep those guys out on the field. That's awesome. That just shows how far that aspect of professional sports has has gone 
to you're not the guy taping up a busted ankle anymore. You've got this whole big concept of everything, every aspect to make sure they're at their, their peak and they're healthy to play. Were there, and you know, professional athletes, there's a whole lot of not, I wouldn't think as much in baseball as maybe football, but how receptive were the players to you being in charge of everything as a female? You know, they were great. I've worked with, you know, pro athletes since 2001. And, you know, it just has been something I really never thought about my gender this much until I took that head position with the Dodgers. It just was never something that was a major issue. The guys were always incredibly respectful. You know, at the end of the day, an athlete wants to be able to play. They want to be healthy enough to play. They want to feel good, right? It's like anything. And so if you have success in helping that athlete with whatever it is that they're dealing with, they don't care what color you are. They don't care what gender you are. They don't care what religion you are. They just want your expertise and your help. And if you can help them, nothing else matters. And so that's really trying to be really good at what you do and trying to always do the right thing for the athlete. So you were dealing with athletes that were at a level and you're obviously at a level in all of your skills that it was just, you're good. End of story. Nothing else mattered. So there were no issues. Yeah. You know, I really just didn't have issues. You know, that doesn't mean I had all the answers either for them, but I was always willing to find the answer if I didn't have it. And so I think that's really was it. It just, it was a really respectful situation. It always had been, you know, I'm not saying I, I never ran across the random athlete or difficult situation or things like that. I'm not saying it was like the smoothest road ever, but you know, the way you handle those things and the way you handle yourself and, you know, the way you acknowledge some of the, for lack of a better word, double standards, you know, you just have to have to kind of deal with some of that stuff. And it just was kind of one of those things where I just wasn't going to let that stuff get to me. And so just kind of keep moving forward. And and the majority of the athletes that I've encountered in my entire career, you know, not just with the Dodgers, but across the board have just been extremely respectful. And, you know, really it's been a minimal issue. Okay. I'm glad to hear that. I'm sure there were, there's always going to be the odd situation, but I, I get the impression in talking with you that you were more than capable of handling everything and getting everything done in a nice professional way and making anyone that made your life difficult feel foolish. I think so. You know, and I'm Sicilian, so I got a little fire in me. So as soon as someone gives me, you know, they give me a little grief and, you know, I just kind of give it right back. They mean not okay, to mess there, with me. <laughs> there's the answer right there. There, there, there she's... Her uncle's gonna gonna deal with you. She's gonna send Guido after you if you don't mess if you leave her. Disrespect her. <laughs> and you've done a whole lot since then. Um, how did you end up with these? This is gonna be a huge jump because it seems like you spend the majority of your time now traveling and doing workshops and seminars. And uh, you said you had a cancellation today. Are you still practicing um, seeing patients on a regular basis? Yeah. So right now I'm doing a little bit of everything, as you said. Um, You know, I don't see clients on a regular basis. My typically uh, I've been with the U.S. men's national team uh, for the last year and um, actually breaking news, uh, 
my last day is actually this week. So um, my my tenure with U.S. Soccer is actually officially over this week. So uh, that's like I said, breaking news. Um, so for the last year, my my clinical practice has really been with uh, the U.S. men's team, and so treating those athletes and working with them. Um, outside of that, I definitely have um, some private clients, private pro athletes that I treat. Um, you know, again, for a lack of a better phrase, some concierge physical therapy type stuff. You know, I'll go to the athlete's house or travel with them. You know, I don't have an office in Phoenix that I see people out of. So basically my entire practice is out on the road. Um, So I've got, you know, a few people that I'll see that way. And then tons of lecturing, tons of, of workshops and teaching, you know, teaching the dry needling really is the main focus of, of my lecturing right now. And, um, so yeah, kind of every day is a little bit different, which I really enjoy. I, I haven't done the eight to five Monday through Friday thing in a very, very long time. So it's kind of nice to have something different every day. Which brings us back to, I don't want to have a real job. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to have a real job anymore. <laughs> so since you brought it up, let's talk about the dry needling. Um, how is dry needling different from traditional acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine type of treatment? Sure. Uh, It's exactly that. It is uh, dry needling is based on Western medicine and acupuncture is based on Eastern medicine. And so dry needling really focuses on biomechanics and anatomy and neurophysiology and all those sorts of things, whereas acupuncture focuses on meridians and chi and um, yin and yang and, and those sorts of things. So that's really where the difference lies is within the philosophy behind the needle placement. We do use the same needle and it's just a different philosophy behind it. Okay. So what you're doing with the needles then, if I'm grasping what you're saying is you're using them. I've, I've many years experience. I was like a massage therapist for like 33, 34 years. So you're basically using them to release tension in areas and using them as I might, if I were doing like shiatsu work and just finding a point and digging into it. Uh, yeah, that's one way to utilize the needle. So you definitely can, you know, find tight, tender points in the muscle, trigger points, whatever you want to call them and insert there. But the needling also works on a neurological level. It works on a physiological level. So lots of different pain mediators and anti-inflammatory mediators being released in the body with needling as well. And so, um, really needling can affect the neurophysiological musculoskeletal system as a whole. And so, you know, it, it can be a bit broader than just simply aiming towards a trigger point, I suppose. But that is okay. definitely one technique. Okay. And how, how common is this? I mean, if somebody in, uh, I don't know, uh, Charlotte is listening to this or somebody down here in Miami is listening to this and wants to look into this as a treatment, how common are dry needling practitioners and how hard are they to be found around the country? It's getting more and more common, um, which is great. On my website, I've got a find a practitioner button. So you can always go to my website and people who have taken my class are registered on there and um, can, you can be treated by someone who's who has taken a class with me. 
And it's definitely state by state. Every state law is different. So depending on which state you live in, um, a physical therapist, chiropractor, or athletic trainer may or may not be able to perform dry needling depending on their practice act. Um, So it is very state dependent right now which can make it difficult for the consumer sometimes to find someone to work with, but it's really about kind of finding out, you know, what the laws of, of practice are in your state and then being able to find a practitioner. But luckily Google provides us with a pretty quick search for most things in life these days. <laughs> That's true. You don't know, just Google it. Okay. Exactly. So- <laughs> how how long has this treatment been around? Because I honestly never heard of it before I saw a reference to it on uh, Lurie Draper's movement lecture site. Yeah. You know, it has been around for quite a long time. Um, believe it or not, a lot of the dry needling stuff is really based on the work of um, – Janet Travell, and she actually did wet needling, actually, where she used a solution with the needles as well. But a lot of the work of dry needling is based off of her. You know, she was born in the early 1900s. So it's it's technically been around for quite some time. I think it's really gained popularity over the course of the last decade as it's been a therapeutic intervention that physical therapists and chiropractors have recently been able to perform within their practice act. So it's kind of really sort of gained some steam, I guess, over the last, over the last decade, I would say. Okay. And since the only times I ever see any references to dry needling, they're attached to your name and you're doing these workshops. I mean, is this your thing? Is this, I mean, it's been around, but are are you the one that's like packaged it and created this, this workshop and this curriculum or are there, have there been other people out there doing this and you're just doing it a little better? Yeah. You know, I so wish it were my thing. That'd be great. Um, (laughs) but it, uh, no, I'd like to think that I've packaged it a bit differently. And, and as you said, doing it a little bit better, there's definitely, uh, there's definitely a lot of companies out there that are teaching dry needling. And quite frankly, they're all successful. They're all really complementary towards each other. You know, it's kind of like, I tell people to think of dry needling as manual therapy. You know, there's no way you can argue that Ola Grimsby is a better clinician than Stanley Paris or Brian Mulligan, right? Like they're all unbelievable clinicians that have contributed a significant amount to the field of rehabilitation. And so they're different. None is better than the other. And that's what I I say for dry needling, right? There's a lot of different techniques out there. There's a lot of different philosophies. There's a lot of different companies that teach. No one has a better technique than someone else. They're all just kind of different. And so it depends on really sort of the philosophy that fits with you in your own personal practice. I chose to study with a man named Dr. Ma, Yantao Ma, and um, started studying with him, gosh, I think kind of right around 2008, 2000, no, probably 2009-ish is when I think I first started studying with him. And, And Dr. Ma is a traditionally trained acupuncturist from China. Uh, as well as has his PhD in um, in pain from the United States, from uh, the University of Iowa, and is uh, NIH fellowship trained as well. And so he has really done an unbelievable job of blending an ancient practice and really putting it within Western medicine and and pain management and neurophysiological references. And so 
he was just really, he just resonated with me. And so I spent a lot of time studying with him. He has recently moved towards retirement and kind of given his classes. He had two original classes that a a guy named Frank Gargano is teaching. Um, And then he created a a third class specifically for me and um, my work within sports medicine and how I utilize the dry needling within a sport performance model and within um, sport and orthopedic injury type model. So um, the cool thing is I am the only one teaching that class. So my class is definitely unique from any other classes or philosophies that, that are out there, but definitely blends with Frank's to really sort of give, give the entire breadth of Dr. Ma's dry needling philosophy. Okay. Very interesting. This is very interesting. So I'm sorry, I was listening to you rather than thinking about the next question. I was totally listening to what you were saying, which is not what I usually do. (laughs) No, that's great. That's great. It's good to hear. It's, um, you know, dry kneeling is, it's, it's interesting. It's different from what people are used to for sure. And I've got to tell you, I mean, it's been a huge practice changer for me. I just, um, it's, it's really really been helpful to me as a clinician. It's been helpful to my athletes and my clients. And so, um, you know, definitely if it's within your practice act to perform, I encourage people to look into it and and take a class and begin to learn it. And, you know, if you're listening more as a consumer, you know, definitely consider it as an alternative treatment for whatever ailments you're dealing with. You know, for me, my athletes, you know, they take so much pain medication and so many anti-inflammatories and so much sleep medication is that, you know, if we can do something that's, you know, some type of intervention that's non-pharmaceutical and can spare their kidneys and spare their liver a little bit, that's, that's huge for me. So I feel like it's been a huge, huge, amazing addition to my practice as someone who practices within sports medicine. Okay. Now, Uh, You saying previously about it being under the the guidelines of whether it be a PT or a chiropractor or so forth, is it even because it's not so widely known to the general public, is it covered by every state's guidelines? I mean, is it there someplace or, you know, can uh, a massage therapist or just, you know, a PT assistant – that's working out of uh, some small town in Oklahoma just decide to start performing it? Yeah, no, you definitely need to be an allied healthcare professional with training, extensive training in anatomy, physiology, neurophysiology, all those sorts of things. And typically, typically the chiropractor, physical therapist, athletic trainer, nurse practitioner, osteopath, physician are going to fall under that, under that category. Um, massage therapists, unfortunately, don't typically fall under that category. Um, and physical therapy assistants are interesting. Some states are allowing them to perform dry needling. In other states, they specifically say that they cannot. So um, very, very state dependent with that designation. Okay. All right. Now, I kind of... Um when, the reason I asked that and mentioned massage therapists is I have a uh, a friend who is a massage therapist that I've known for a very long time, and I realize Eastern versus Western, they're somewhat different, but she has gone through acupuncture training, and I'm not sure whether that's how that fits in with the massage license or if it does or if she is – I don't know what Florida's laws are on that, but I know she also practices acupuncture. Yeah, it, it's completely state dependent. And I always encourage people to to check their state practice act and see if it's something they're able to do. 
So you're teaching those workshops, you're doing Perform Better and some of the other uh, multi-day events around the country. What? Um, how did you end, end up working with, with Lurie Draper? I met Lurie through Gray Cook and through Perform Better. And so, you know, Lurie was Gray's editor for his book Movement, as Mm -hmm. well as, you know, has put a lot of uh, his DVDs out. And so I finally had the pleasure to meet uh, Lurie several years back at a Perform Better conference when she was there with Gray. And so, you know, we started chatting and gosh, we started talking then. She's like, you need to put some products out. You need some DVDs. (laughs) And it was sort of this thing. We always kind of stayed in touch, but yet, you know, I just wasn't at that point to do it. And so, you know, after I had left Athletes Performance and left the Dodgers and just was sort of, you know, my own entity, I guess, um, I thought, you know what, it's time to do it. And so Lurie was gracious enough to take me on as a client and, uh, you know, do some filming with me. And obviously I've done some audio lectures um, for movementlectures.com with her and um, just has kind of grown from there. So really, really through Gray Cook and, and through Perform Better. Okay. When you present, I'm going to do a jump there because Perform Better is such a mishmash of things that are presented covering everything from your average personal trainer to higher levels of therapy and so forth. What do you generally present on when you do a Perform Better uh, seminar? Uh, yeah, it's that's the amazing thing about Perform Better is that you have such a variety of people within the health and wellness industry there. And um, everyone is just so open and learning and willing to or willing to, to learn from each other and just share ideas and have it just be collaborative. And if people haven't been to a Perform Better conference yet, I totally encourage people to do so because there's just such a cool atmosphere there from presenters and attendees together and how everyone interacts. And so I've been speaking with Perform Better, gosh, I don't even know how long at this point, maybe eight, nine years or so. And so my topics definitely have changed over the years. I've spoken quite a bit on bridging the gap from rehab to performance. That definitely is a space that I tend to live in um, and spoke about for quite some time. And then obviously with my baseball background, you know, I think I've, I've done some shoulder seminars with them a little bit. Um, and then the last couple of years has really, I've kind of taken a turn, you know, um, last year I spoke on sort of all the letters, you know, I think I entitled it like PT, ATC, LMNOP, something like that. Um, because you have... <laughs> <laughs> we have all of these letters that personal trainers and strength coaches are hearing about, right? And we've got PRI and DNS and, you know, ART and, you know, all of these different things and sort of how do we fit all of these things together, right? And so at the end of the day, really kind of exploring what really ends up being more commonalities than differences between all of these different philosophies. And so as I was working through that process in 2014, that's what I spoke about. And then this year was a different topic for me as well. That 2014 was really sort of a year of exploration for me. And I did my 200 hour yoga teacher training as well. And so that's what I spoke about in 2015 was, was yoga and how it is already fit within our 
our strength and conditioning practice. You know, you have so many strength coaches out there, you know, Michael Boyle included, which I always tease him about. He's like, I hate yoga. I'm like, Michael, you like, you can't hate yoga. Like so many things we do are rooted from yoga. Um, and so <laughs> after my presentation, he was like, okay, fine. I don't hate yoga. <laughs> He's like, but yoga people can be weird. I'm like, okay, I'll give you that. Yes. <laughs> but I'm a yoga person, so I'm definitely weird. Um, and so, you know, just kind of really looking at, okay, a single leg RDL. Well, that's warrior three, you know, like that's a complete yoga pose. And, and some of these things that we're talking about, you know, Dan John and, um, you know, Michael and everyone's kind of doing a lot of stuff, getting up off of the ground and doing different like ground-based transitions. Michelle Delcourt's kind of same thing. Um, Chris Frankel, same thing, right? Everyone's, I just kind of spent 2014 watching people do all of these sort of movement-based I guess, primitive-based kind of movement transitions from the floor to standing and back down. And I'm thinking, this is all yoga. And so that's really what I spoke about this year was how yoga is already, even if it's not something that's familiar to us from a Sanskrit standpoint, but really personal trainers and strength coaches are performing way more yoga than they than they think they are. And sort of to just being able to sort of honor it, respect it, maybe look into it more as something um, that you can or, you know, could add in with your clients or not. Um, but at least just to kind of be open to it and sort of explore that topic. So I wasn't sure I figured it was going to kind of go over like a lead balloon, but it actually was really, really well received. <laughs> and I think I had like 200 people in my lab in Long Beach just going through um, yoga. And it was, it was awesome to see from a strength and conditioning standpoint and, and to kind of just get people talking about it and talking about that topic. So um, I'm not sure what I'm going to do for 2016. I'll probably expand there a little bit um, since it seemed to go over more. It seemed to go over pretty well. And Chris Chris Poirier and I were, were pleasantly surprised at how it went over. So we'll, we'll see. I'm not sure what I'm going to do for 16 yet. Now, as you're, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about, all right, yeah, Dan is doing all this. Uh, he calls them get back ups, uh, Dan John and... Um, you're right. You're right. There is a lot of crawling and um, getting up and down. And actually, I recently started training an 86-year-old lady that took a very bad fall, broke her pelvis. And after she finished her PT and the insurance said, you're done, her family asked me, yeah. what can we do to keep going? I said, well, let me see what I can do. And I went, okay. You were stuck on the floor. It was the old TV commercial, I've fallen and we can't get back up, right? Yep. Yeah, okay, great. So we're getting her stronger, but we're spending a lot of time with, all right, get down on the floor. Yes, you can put your hand on something for balance, but I have this lovely little 86-year-old woman going from a standing position to getting down onto one knee, onto both knees, sitting on the floor and then working her way back up. Yeah. Because I, I just, my main concern is that, and I suppose now that you've brought it, that you've verbalized it, it, some of the positions, suppose it does relate to yoga. Yeah. Never thought of it that way. We don't view yoga as movement. We view v yoga as hold this strange pose. Yeah. And it, it gets, you know, because there is some element of meditation or religion to it. It doesn't have to be that way. Um, you know, yoga didn't stem from 
a religious practice. Um, if anything, religious practices have adopted yoga. And so, but I think there's a misconception there. And so, you know, it doesn't have to be chanty and it doesn't have to be meditative. You know, that's that stuff's not for everybody. And so I think that sometimes those things can sort of turn people off if they're not into those things. Um, and to just kind of make people aware, like, yeah, that is one type of yoga, but that's not all types of yoga. And yoga can really be a lot of different things. And so just kind of opening people's minds that, yeah, it's really kind of a movement-based practice and connecting it with breath. And those those people who do know me um, and my obsession with breath and, and, and breathing and utilizing breath as a therapeutic activity, uh, you know, would recognize that the breath with movement, that's the type of yoga that I have studied is, is called vinyasa. And it's basically breath associated with movement. And that's exactly what I do all the time. So it fits naturally within my practice. And I think fits naturally within a lot of people's practice that, that probably maybe didn't recognize it to begin with. I can just see you having these huge power athletes doing yoga poses and breathing and movement. And I'm, I'm sure you get a lot of, um, uh, what's the word I want here? I'm sure they argue with you at first and then they see the value <laughs> kind of like Mike Boyle did. <laughs> that's exactly right. They, you know, you always have the athlete that's just not into it and doesn't want to do it. And you know what? I just don't bang my head against the wall with those athletes. Um, but a lot of times they say they're not into it and then they try it and then they love it because it's hard. Right. And if you make it hard and challenging for them, athletes are competitive. It doesn't matter what the activity is. They want to be good at it and they want to quote unquote win. So if you make it challenging for them in a way that it's competitive and, and relates to what they do, then they love it and they get into it. And the ones that aren't into it, you know, that's cool. Like everyone doesn't have to be in everything. So I don't bang my head against the wall with that, but it's surprising how many of them do get into it and really kind of dig it. <laughs> it's, it's pretty, it's pretty fun. So what you do, what you're saying is you appeal to that massive ego that makes them a great athlete. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what you She's a manipulator. <laughs> That's what we all are as coaches, right? <laughs> Absolutely. How can we get people to do what we want them to do? This is true. Now, I know you've got other things to do, so I want to kind of wind this up. And I wanted to talk about what you actually do. This is a curiosity because I've talked to a lot of different people and what they teach and what their practice is. And then it's like, all right, well, what's your training actually like personally? What do you do for you fitness wise? That, you know, if you, we would have had this conversation a month ago, I would have had a very different answer for you. And so, you know, for a while there, probably the first six months of this year, I just was so, even after my yoga training, like I love doing yoga um, but I just was burnt out. I was tired of thinking. I didn't want to think about my own workouts. You know, you spend all this time sort of programming for other people. And when it comes to programming for yourself, you just don't want to do it. <laughs> and so I got like super out of shape and just not in a good place physically. And so a few months ago, just sort of recommitted, um, recommitted to, you know, good nutrition and clean eating and sort of all those things and, and recommitted to my yoga practice. And then, um, believe it or not, have started in the last couple of weeks at Orange Theory Fitness, which is a chain, um, you know, across uh, across the country that 
just has some really great workouts. I went in, there's a place that opened um, right near me. And so I went in and checked it out. And, you know, it's sort of one of those interval, um, high intensity type workouts. Um, But you go in and you have a coach and I don't have to think about it. And I get an amazing workout and I leave. Um, And so I'm just super digging it right now. So (laughs) currently my, uh, my thing is, is that kind of high intensity workout twice a week and yoga twice a week. And then one day of either just a jog or a hike or something with, with my boyfriend and just sort of relaxing and enjoying kind of a day of being active. And then like two days of just being off. And uh, just kind of really enjoying that schedule right now and not putting too much pressure on me to, you know, do two hour workouts or do like crazy stuff or whatever. It's just kind of super simple, easy. I'm enjoying it. And and that's that's where I am right now. But like I said, uh, you know, even a month ago, I would have probably had a different answer for you. Well, so that's a good thing. You're back into some kind of training and the key. And this seems to be the common thread with everyone I've ever spoken with is it's got to be something fun for you. And so the two hour drudgery workouts, and like you said, you program for everyone else. So programming for yourself is, would be drudgery. So you're doing something that for right now is fun, which is going to make it effective. And it doesn't matter that you probably know more than that coach will ever hope to know at Orange Theory. That's serving the purpose right now. That coach is coaching you and you, you walk in there, you shut your brain off and you just do it. Yeah. And they're great. Like the coaches I've encountered have been awesome and they're really motivating and that's what I need right now. And like, it's just exactly what I need right now. And like you said, just shut my brain off and just get a workout in. Like I'm, I'm tired of, of being my own, you know, my own brain. And so have just want someone else to do the brain work for me. I just want to, to work on my own, my own health in a, you know, it's hard to dissociate when you're in that, that personal training strength coach health and wellness type thing. It's kind of hard to dissociate sometimes. And so that's kind of really where I'm at right now is just kind of letting someone else do the, do the brain power. And it feels awesome. It feels great. So it's, I'm in a, I'm in a good, good workout space right now. And as you said, you know, people, it changes like for right now, that's perfect for me. And in two months, I'm sure it'll change again, you know, as things always do. (laughs) As long as you're doing something and it's fun and it's not drudgery and it's going to work. It doesn't matter what you're doing as long as you're doing something. Yep, that's exactly right. All right. It's about uh, 10 after the hour, and I know you've got some other things to do. So what would you like to say to wrap this up? Well, I just really appreciate you having me on. I think that, you know, we haven't spoken a whole lot before. I know we have a ton of people in common. So uh, it's just been great to be on. And, um, you know, I'm sure you have a little bit different of a of an audience than I've probably spoken to in the past. So just encourage people to, to stay in touch. My website's uh, suefalsoni.com or systemicdryneedling.com. You can get a hold of me through both of those websites. And, uh, and I do email people back. So, you know, be patient with me. I, I don't email back immediately, but eventually I will email back. Um, and I'm on social media, you know, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all those good things. Um, you know, just Sue Falsoni, PTATC is typically my handle. So, you know, just stay in touch and, and encourage people to, to share and get connected. And, uh, I'm looking forward to doing the same. Well, I thank you very much for taking the time with us and, um, everybody out there, you know, who you've been listening to. This is Sue Falsoni, who is Absolutely amazing lady, and I'm thrilled that I finally got the chance to talk with her. And you've been listening to Real World Fitness. I'm your host, Bill, and I will see you guys uh, very, very soon. Everybody have an awesome week. 
Real World Fitness is a production of the Serotalk Podcast Network in cooperation with CoceabaFitness.com. All questions, comments, and feedback should be submitted to resources at serotalk.com. If you're listening on a mobile device, use your iBlink radio app to submit an iReport.